Hello there and welcome to the Bunkerzilla Film Raw here at Bunkerzilla UK, the place where we digest the latest movie news and movie reviews. I am your host as always, Ian Bolton, and I'm joined at a reasonably social distance, Christian R. Allen. Hello. Hello, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm always, I always feel comfortable when I'm one Ian length away from me. That's the correct social distancing length. You are, you are exactly two meters, right? Yeah, about, <laughs> one, well, just short, about five centimeters off. Oh, so oh. Then there's a chance we could get seriously ill if we're one Ian away from one another. I think, I think we're okay. We're okay. We're okay with good hygiene and doing the proper procedures. Yeah, we're doing the proper procedures. Proper procedural. Proce- procedural. Oh, yeah. What kind of procedural? Like a police procedural? Are we in Broadchurch right now? Or is it Happy are, Valley? Are, are, are we on the coast? On the co- <laughs> uh, not at the moment. I live so on it's the not coast. Broad ch- it's not Broadchurch. Uh, uh, Broadchurch. Broadchurch. <laughs> <laughs> That's the regional dialect there. Coming Hello, through, welcome to Broadchurch. <laughs> I, I must say, if you were in it instead of, I think you could replace either David Tennant or Olivia Coleman, and it would be a better show. Maybe just for me. I don't think anyone else would like it, but I, I would be entertained at least. So I haven't seen, I haven't seen any of Broadchurch. Uh, well, I'm not a fan of Chris Shibnall's work on Doctor Who. I, um, I don't either before he took over or since he's taken over. I don't, I don't like him at all. However, I will begrudgingly accept the fact that Broadchurch is excellent and I highly recommend it although I suspect that's mainly because Tennant and Coleman have such great chemistry so have you watched the entire free series yes okay it does it, it there is diminished returns I mean you I feel the series would have been better left after the first season just left as it is mm. um the second series and the third series that they're, they're they're satisfying to watch, but then they're not as impactful as the first season. The first episode in, in the first season, in particular, is one of the finest hours of television ever produced. Um, in, and I, I, if you haven't seen Broadchurch, the hype is real. Give it uh, a go. I, apparently, it's been remade for American audience, audiences with David Tennant. Yeah, I've just I've just loaded up my uh, iPad for notes. Uh, it's called Grace Point. Okay, and it had David Tennant, uh, Jackie Weaver. Just looking at it's weird because in hindsight they, should, they would have probably be best uh, to Mike, keep Michael Pino was in it as well oh, right. Nick Nolte I think it got cancelled after a couple of episodes oh really well, <laughs> <laughs> or, I they, mean, or they released the entire series and then basically afterwards went nah I mean how many how many British television series have had good pilots in the States I mean I'm, I'm uh, still angry about Red Dwarf or as Danny John Jules calls it White Dwarf oh dear yeah like um, yeah have you ever watched the American pilot for I've Red seen Dwarf? clips of it on the Watch Mojo uh, <laughs> top 10 bad attempts to remake British television I, I have actually watched the entire thing I think it was on the season 5 DVDs and um, it's very strange. I mean, yeah, it has utterly been whitewashed, mm. which is pretty despicable, but not, not, uh, <laughs> I'm not surprised knowing how American television works. Oh, I say worked. I mean, this is 20 years ago. Um, and the weirdest thing about it is like they've made Dave Lister handsome and buff. <laughs> Like it, it's weird that Kachansky isn't interested in him because the, the American Lister is like a proper male babe. Like he's a, he, you know, you, you'd want to climb all over that fellow. Um, <laughs> yeah. Obviously the joke in the British series is that the last human alive would be this scummy um, um, scouser. who um, Craig Charles is so brilliant at bringing to life. Um, I love the fact that the last human being alive has a permanent custard stain on his shirt. <laughs> it's not something you get in other sci-fis you don't get that in uh star trek mm. uh, um but yeah it's um yeah i can't I, I remember watching a documentary of stephen moffat a few years ago where he was trying to remake coupling 
and just look, this is before Doctor Who was revived. So Stephen mm. Moffat was kind of known, in, um, but um, you could just see his gradual sadness for the documentary as, as clearly the, the American executives took complete control and stripped everything that made his show brilliant away because that doesn't work. You, you've heard there's been about three, I believe three attempts to recreate Forty Towers for American audiences, and you know they try they removed Basil Fawlty. Well, I think I mentioned this on a previous episode. Oh, did we? Um, yeah, they made one called Pain, and I've seen a couple of episodes. It's not good. Is it, is it you know, appropriately enough painful to watch? I can, you can kind of see there, there is kind of a good attempt to try, but it's like something like they've replaced Manuel, the Spanish waiter, with uh, Mexican. Well, that, that, that would make sense from that, me, if you're regionalizing it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and um, yeah, for, uh, I mean, the guy they cast as Payne, or the Payne as in Payne Towers or something like that. Or P A Y N E. Uh, yeah, yeah, like Max Payne. Um, I think it's Barry Boswick. And it's like he tries, but it's not, it's not. It's not as iconic as John Cleese is going into full meltdown. <laughs> it may have been cheaper for a major studio, a broadcaster like ABC, just to have bought the rights to the British version and broadcast that. Mm. I mean, it's, going back into film a little bit, I'm, I'm always astounded. Every now and then I have to remind myself that originally we might have had an American cast for the first Harry Potter movie. Oh, God. And it's just like, doesn't that just strip away the, the magic of the series? Just like, it's isn't, like isn't the selling point to Americans that it's British? We can't, it's like, it's like, okay, they're going to, they're not going to go from King's Cross station. They're going to go from LAX and they're going to fly <laughs> and they're going to fly into the clouds. And Hogwarts is a military air base where they learn all about superpowers. Right, you, you, what you're describing sounds like a Disney channel knockoff of Harry Potter right now. Kind of, are, are, we, it, are we in one of these pitch meetings on screen, man? It, it sounds that way. It sounds that way. It's like, it's like, so you want to take it from the magical castle to an industrial airship in the sky why <laughs> because all right then <laughs> what was that film called it was like it's oh sk- they did sky high sky high that's yeah. it yeah oh gosh that was Kurt more Ru- superhero yeah wasn't Kurt it? Russell yeah. was in that one there's there is the wizards of waverly place which is clearly just trying to tap into that market mm. well i mean to be honest, every young adult film since the harry potter films has been trying to tap into the harry potter um market and i think we touched on that quite a bit when we were talking about artemis fowl many many weeks ago oh God, thank you you just reminded me that artemis fowl exists yeah, now i'm so, angry again so one star yes one star <laughs> but you can uh, you can relive uh, our thoughts on artemis fowl and also the discussion of every attempt to try and make a uh, new popular blockbuster franchise in the wake of harry potter in a previous episode of film raw just go to podcast platforms type in film raw and you'll find us it's lovely they're all blurring into one, these, these episodes, aren't they? And the reason for that is because of uh, the great lockdown. <laughs> time, one of, one of my favourite quotes in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is like, time is an illusion, lunchtime doubly so. And I, f- I feel like that has never been more prescient to me than my entire life than this last. It's almost seven months into this year. At, that's in, it's nearly August. I don't understand how that's happened. Like t- time is just unraveling before my very eyes. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> well, well, with that in mind, um, obviously we've been we've been talking about TV quite a little bit, but obviously this is a film podcast, yes. so we need to talk about films. And obviously, we start each episode off with our cinematic week or weeks, because it's been about two weeks since we recorded the last episode. Mm. So, uh, Christian, what have you been watching in your cinematic weeks? Well, what we've been doing is um, me and my partner on a diet. 
And during weekdays, we have a very strict calorie counting, keto-esque diet, and it's very boring and sad. And to make sure that we can actually do it, oh, the weekend is a bit of a free-for-all. You know, it's a Saturday is treat day, <laughs> to quote the genius Peter Seven-Fenerich. Um, and we theme every weekend on another country. So a couple of weeks ago, it was France, and we, we, we made some French cuisine and watched some French movies. This weekend, we were very lazy, so we decided to pick the United States of America and had takeout pizza. Um, I accidentally binged on a... <laughs> so we had a bit of a NASA binge. So I watched The um, the Right Stuff, which is um, a film by Philip Kaufman. It's, it's an epic. It's about three hours long. Mm. Um, and it's about the first attempts of the Americans to get into space. Um, it's got a great cast with Ed Harris and Scott Glenn, Sam, Sam Shepard. Um, and it is, it's really fascinating sort of seeing the journey of the uh, American attempts just to, first of all, break the speed barrier in the air, going from these, like, these, these jets that look like they're going to fall apart the moment they sort of like they get up into the air, all the way up to the first successful um, manned missions by NASA and the, sort of the, the various disasters on the way. Um, it, was, it was very similar, actually, to um, First Man in the fact that it kind of bombed, didn't really have an audience, but it seemed seemed to, unlike First Man, it it garnered a lot more critical praise. And I I think it ended up winning like four Academy Awards and sort of found an audience again towards um, award season. Mm. But if if you're you're a bit of a space nut and you're interested in it, I really highly recommend the right stuff just to sit down for a long film. Um, and then we jumped onto Apollo 13, which I mean, you must have seen I've Apollo seen 13. Apo- I've seen Apollo 13, yes. Yeah, I mean, my only criticism of Apollo 13 is that it feels a little bit too clean, a movie. Like NASA, the sets and the, the ship, they feel a bit too pristine. Well, it's, like, it's like, it's, it's, is it mean like the beautiful prestige of basically, yes, it's all going to work out just fine in the end. <laughs> well, saying that, I mean, I, I've, I've seen it a number of times and when I watched it for the first time, I knew what the hell the story was going to unfold because I'm just a bit of a space nut. And even, even knowing that, I'm still tense for them. Like, especially when they're about to re-enter the atmosphere. Mm. I'm just, there's a part of me that goes, well, they make it. Oh no, I can't let Tom Hanks die. <laughs> but he's the nicest guy in every movie. I do like the fact, I can't remember which comedian said it to him on an interview. I think, I think it might have been um, St- Stephen Colbert asked him if he's trying to play every American that's ever lived. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's getting there. Yeah, because I mean, he's, <laughs> he's, done, he's done Sully. I mean, yeah, Forrest Gump. It was, it was Jim Lavelle in, in Apollo 13. Um, Walt Disney. Oh, yeah, save for Mr. Banks. Yeah. I will say Forrest Gump is a fictional character. I apologise, I didn't yeah, realise that. But he does encompass every American. Yes. <laughs> so I get and, what you mean. It encompasses real American moments in history, yeah. like the Vietnam War and stuff like that. Yeah. I was tempted to show, as part of the America Weekend to show Midge Forrest Gump, but, and, she, but, and I mentioned it to her, and I didn't realise her best friend when she was a teenager was obsessed with the film, and they'd oh. had, they would watch it every time she visited the house. So it's just the film was completely ruined for her. <laughs> so if you ever brought a copy of Forrest Gump into the house, would she burn it? Uh, I think she would just passive aggressively ignore it. If that, if that, <laughs> just like she'll, she'll stare at it at occasion, just like I, I just, fury. I, in I her just face. imagine it's like it's like, darling, look, I've got Forrest Gump, and you just hand her the DVD and you just <laughs> let go of it, and her hands are held out and she just doesn't catch it. It just drops. And like, oh no, clumsy me. Or she goes the other way, sort of passive, uh, what was it? Aggressive compliance. Which is like, let me put it in the machine. Does it too hard and destroys the entire 4k player. Like, whoops. 
but uh, yeah, it, it was it was fun. I, I do I do like those movies a lot. I I mean if I mean to be honest, if if you're a fan of NASA, you need to watch those two movies. Highly recommend First Man and Hidden Figures in particular mm. is excellent. Really really like. We also figures. covered uh, Apollo uh, the Apollo Eleven documentary, documentary. at the yeah. very start of the lockdown phase of yes, the show. Yes, we did. Oh god, that was a long time ago. That's when we thought it would be. <laughs> oh, it'd be, it'd be episode, novel episode. Five, I think. But we need to check our Wikipedia entry. Yeah, so like, I'd, I'd, I'd recommend those um, films. And then we, to continue on the theme of America. America! Uh, F, yeah. Oh, I should have played Team America. That would have been the perfect film. <laughs> I didn't even think. Um, we, we went from the, you know, the, the, the incredible achievements of NASA and those amazing astronauts to um, jumping down the conspiracy uh, rabbit hole. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, so we, we watched um, Oliver Stone's JFK, and uh, I'd never seen it before. And <laughs> so <laughs> that side does not give me hope. It is an excellent movie. Okay, it's one of the best movies I've ever watched in my life. It's incredibly tense, and Kevin Costner is brilliant. For, and um, the only problem I have with, have with it is, is like I'm. I'm kind of middle ground when it comes to conspiracy theories. I, I'm mm. one of those people like I conspiracies have clearly happened throughout history. Mm. Um, if you don't believe in conspiracy theories, then you just, you know, two words, Julius Caesar, like his assassination was a conspiracy. The, the, the history is littered full, full of um, conspiracies you can prove. Problem is if you go too far, the other side, you get the, they get the crazies who believe everything. Was it like the Alex Jones lot? Oh, was it, was it say that the, the water is making the frogs gay? That nonsense. If you've never heard him say that, I yeah, gosh. Um, <laughs> so probably, there's always a danger when you're talking about conspiracy theories where you, you, you people will start staring at you like you're one of the crazies and they're hmm. like, no, I'm, I'm just, I, you know, I'll try to take a, a Fortean perspective on things. Um, and But JFK, it, it is a really, really clever piece of manipulative filmmaking mm. from Oliver Stone clearly has a perspective on events I mean he's very cynical towards the history of America anyway mm. you know, probably forged for his experiences in Vietnam mm. um, and if you do like if, if you're interested in any war movies I do recommend Platoon have you ever mm. seen that uh, I know of it I haven't probably seen it before a, a, a good ma- it would be a good marriage of uh, Full Metal Jacket as well mm. um, but no Jeff I, I came out of that film convinced that the uh, <laughs> all, all hope is lost America has been dead for 50 years. We're trapped in this uh, nightmarish industrial military complex. <laughs> like, there's no such thing as democracy. And I was just a bit emotionally distraught. Um, and then it took a few Wikipedia en- entries from my partner just to go, you know what? I'm not entirely sure if I agree with this movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, I mean, JFK is an excellent piece of filmmaking, really compelling story. Um, and I'm... I, I've, I've, the whole JFK thing... I kind of feel like we don't know the truth, but I don't think anyone has the answers. And yeah. this film is telling you the, these are the answers. And it's just going, oh. like, we've worked it out. Have you? Yeah, basically. <laughs> so I, I think you need to approach it with a pinch of salt. And it, it's good. It's good if it installs a, uh, a healthy air of cynicism towards the whole scenario. I, I think the thing with JFK is it's, it's synonymous with one particular phrase, which <laughs> I've heard in countless memes or or botchamania or even or I've, even, I've heard this meme in like rap songs yeah like. and it's just simply coming across the going up until the left up, up 
until the left. And it's a really, that's one of the best scenes. It's, mm. it's him explaining after three, nearly three and a half hour build up, because it is an epic, yeah. it needs to be the length flow and it, it does fly by. Mm. Um, you have the courthouse scene where he, he, he um, um, his, um, Jim Garrison, he, yeah, the Jim Garrison is a DA for New Orleans, um, g- gives his evidence as to why the official events, um, as, as, uh, purported by the, um, the Warren report, uh, are basically bullshit. And, um, yeah, and it's really compelling, really engaging. And you are totally convinced, <laughs> even if you, if you're the most patriotic, I believe everything the government says to me, you'll be like, Oh, wait a minute. And then that line happened and I just started laughing because of, and I, <laughs> it was only to speaking to you last night. I realized, oh yeah, I've heard this line over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you use for classic things like a misplaced chair shot or <laughs> someone falling off a turnbuckle into the crowd or something like that. <laughs> or, or, or someone just getting, or even like in like YouTube clips, someone just getting innocently hit in the face with something. But it's, it's really interesting. I, I find I find the memification of certain scenes in films slightly irritating because I hate being taken out of the movie experience. Yeah. But I was, I was watching Born Supreme, uh, sorry, the Born Ultimatum a few weeks ago, mm. and of course it had the Jesus Christ, that's Jason Bourne line, <laughs> and I just, <laughs> I just, it could be, I mean, it took me out of the movie, but I laughed. I really laughed. It enhanced my experience in some respects, but again, it's just, I, I love the ending of Return of the King. I know people complain that it's half an hour long, but you ne- after watching a 14-hour movie, a half an hour coda is a nice breather, but every time, every time they, I, I watch it, I just get those terrible re-edits where they have slightly derpy voices. And, and the cross-eyes. And the cross-eyes and oh, things like this. Like, like, Gandalf. Gandalf. And, and I'm just like, oh. I don't want to laugh at the scene. <laughs> uh, so what else is on your list? Um, the, the, the last film I watched last um, yesterday was, um, again, continuing the uh, conspiracy rabbit hole a little bit later, All the President's Men, with, um, which is about the Watergate scandal. Ah, right. yeah, yeah, That's so. Robert Redford, isn't it? Yes, it is. And Dustin Hoffman. Um, Robert Redford, I think this is... I think it was his last film before he sort of jumped into the director's side of things. Although he still he still does he still oh, yeah, does a yeah. bit of acting and stuff like that. I think he yeah. I think, it, it, I think his la- his official last credit before he retired is um, Endgame. I will have a little check. Carry I'm, I'm s- on talking about all the presidents. Oh yeah, it's, again, it's really just it, it, the it's reminiscent of Spotlight. Which came out a few years ago. It's about the um, the Catholic Church um, abuse scandal. I think um, it's the best picture winner as well. Spotlight. But this was as well. All the no. presidents' men. Yeah, so it's very similar in tone. Um, it's 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 interesting. It's quite um, engrossing movie. It it it's very. It, it it's happy to take its time with the story and it, it along with JFK it's really interesting I noticed that in a, a lot of films that deal with like 60s 70s Americana they they have so much cable news and so much television footage to play with so a lot of the film is you have these wonderful shots of a, a television on the taking up the left side of the frame with a new story explaining what's going on and you just got Robert Redford in the background just on his typewriter so you mm. kind of forget he's there or Dustin Hoffman and it's, just like, it's really really yeah engrossing is the word mm. and it's sort of like um, yeah it ticks all the boxes off of the sort of conspiracy you've, you've, you have the scenes with uh, the uh, secret agent Deep Throat who you're not entirely sure of mm. his purposes yeah, they, they have to they have codes to meet each other I mean I'm, I'm a huge sucker for all this espionage stuff anyway I mean I mm. love Cold War movies but um, I, I, did, I did I did enjoy it I don't think I liked it as much as um, 
as the general consensus is. But again, I was left a bit cold with Spotlight as well. So maybe I'm just not into journalist movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I probably wouldn't. Well, there is Spielberg's The Post on. I, I was about to mention it. I haven't seen The Post yet, but that does, I think it's dealing with a, a very similar... I think it's dealing with the same story, actually. Yeah, I think it's uh, Hanks and Streep, isn't it? Yeah, but more from a managerial perspective as opposed to this film focused on the rogue journalists. Okay. Yeah, so they're kind of... Um, and it's a, I get the impression this film, unlike JFK, where it's, it's kind of questionable, All the President's Men does feel like it's caught the spirit of the uh, story a lot more. Uh, I would recommend it. Yeah, it's just um, it's nice to be reminded just how um, how awful the American government can be. <laughs> oh, you do. This, this, this Nixon fellow seems like a questionable chap. <laughs> oh, I mean, I didn't watch it. I highly recommend Frost Nixon as well. If you've ever Frost seen Nixon it. is a very good film. Yeah, that's Ron Howard as well. Ron Howard directed. Yeah, going yes. back to Apollo thirteen. Yeah. Yes, it all links in. It all, it all comes link. together. It all comes together. So it's been on my cinematic plate for the Is it, it going to be uh, as much Oscar bait as the films I've seen? <laughs> <laughs> no. He asks knowing exactly what you've watched this week. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's been, a, it's been an interesting couple, a couple of weeks of, of watching bits and pieces. Um, I, uh, to carry on the rabbit hole that is Cary Grant, uh, I did watch Alfred Hitchcock's Suspicion, uh, made in 1941, and uh, Joe Fontaine played a shy, uh, reluctant young heiress who marries a charming gentleman played by Cary Grant who just comes in, sweeps off her feet and goes, hello, we're going to get married. I like you. You're fascinating. I'm Cary Grant. That sort of stuff. Um, but then once they get married, uh, they run away, they get married. So her, her more authoritative parents are kind of disapproving of the whole thing. But as, as, as after they get married... Um, she starts finding out some very secret hidden truths about uh, Kerry Grant's character, like he is a reckless gambler. He constantly uh, is lying, uh, constantly sort of taking money which doesn't belong to him and stuff like that, so a swindler and stuff like that. And she gets to the, she gets to the um, uh, conclusion that uh, Kerry Grant is plotting to kill her at some point. She just doesn't know how, and it's like the... I'm, it, I'm generally quite surprised there's a murder plot in a Hitchcock movie. Ah, uh, shock horror. <laughs> but it, it, the, um, I think the way they play it is it's, the tension builds up throughout the film of basically the situations you think, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. It's like, wait a minute, that doesn't seem right. And then it gets dispelled and you go, ah, oh, okay, so okay, so he's not doing something illicit at that point. And it's like, why is he asking about poisons? Why is he reading a lot of detective novels? <laughs> so there's a, there's a twist coming, I presume, and it's mm. all like... Yeah, well, I won't spoil it, but no, it's it's kind of, it's um, it's Kerry Grant in a different sort of mode. Of course, obviously, yes, there's the Kerry Grant charm, but then it's also, there's a serious side to Kerry Grant in this as well, which I kind of like. Charm, he's got more charisma in his little finger than the entire population of this country. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's only one more Hitchcock film I haven't watched that he starred in, and that's Notorious, so I need to... I I've need never to seen that one as well. I think I can only import that from America, so that's going to be... That's going to be uh, uh, an interesting g- game for me to play. Uh, all right, now, obviously, uh, I was disappointed in Scoob. <laughs> what, what did we give that? Two stars? We gave that... Um, Somehow two stars. I think we were. I <laughs> is think it the coffee like, and Kareem yeah. rule? Is it? <laughs> is it worse? No, so the Artemis Fowl rule. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Well, um, no, it's because we. Well, I think it's because we understood that some. Uh, I think younger audiences would definitely enjoy. Yeah, Scoob. there was redeemable. There was features. redeemable stuff. Um, but I went off and watched uh, Scooby Doo and Batman: Brave and the Bold. Excellent. Uh, this is a straight to DVD animated movie. Uh, it takes uh, Scooby Doo and throws him into the animated series of Batman: The Brave and the Bold. It's kind of like Batman Brave and Bold is a very bright, colourful, 
Batman Adam West inspired. It's very sixties Batman. It's very sixties. Yeah. Even the the voice acting is very sort of in that Hammy. line as well. Yeah, uh, Didrik Bader I think plays a uh, Batman, and it's kind of like it's not like deep deep raspy like obviously Christian Bale or it was really intimidating or Kevin Conroy <laughs> oh yeah really intimidating like Kevin Conroy it's like Scooby-Doo gang you must join with Batman come on that impersonation you did was too gruff <laughs> it was <laughs> too actually gruff. too masculine <laughs> too <for> like, <laughs> it's so, more like this oh yeah it's like it's like, Scooby, Shaggy, you've joined Batman's group of friends. Come along. Yeah, that's better. Yeah, that's better. better. Right, so basically the basic plot behind this is, is uh, Batman invites, because Batman likes inviting people, Batman invites the Mystery Inc. gang to the Mystery Analysts of Gotham Society. As you do. And this is a, uh, this is a monthly club meet where some, some very famous superheroes like Martian Manhunter and stuff like that all just gather around and they try to solve each other's unsolved mysteries. But this time they decide to try and solve the one mystery that hasn't been solved, and that was Batman's unsolved mystery, <laughs> which is uh, it's, it has something to do with teleportation and dimensions and stuff like that, because they all start getting haunted by a spectre at some point. Um, usual Scooby-Doo, usual Scooby-Doo hijinks galore. It's just there's a lot of Batman Brave and the Bold characters in it and, and to be perfectly honest i found this a lot more entertaining than scoob it's it's, it's shorter <laughs> it's like 70 minutes the voice cast is very very good you've got matthew lillard as shaggy um three stars i would give it three stars yeah <laughs> it's like if you really like scooby you'll enjoy it i I, I think obviously kids will enjoy it a lot lot more so my, my first question do they unmask batman and it turns out to be like the, the landowner or <laughs> Have I accidentally got it? Have I just guessed a subplot? No, 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 no. <laughs> no, no. Velma uh, does come to the conclusion who Batman is, and Batman goes, oh. who? I will, I will have to break your neck. So who who am I? And she just goes, he's a guy who has a lot, a lot of love in his heart. And he just, <laughs> he's, like, he's like the big teddy bear that you always want. And Batman went, okay, keep that to yourself. I should have gone for the great bit of The Simpsons <laughs> where... Uh, Principal Skidder's trying to keep the announcement anonymous. It's like, I'm like I, I won't tell you who it is, but it's, uh, I'll give you a clue. It's a uh, B. Wayne. No, that's too obvious. Bruce W. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did the, and did, did they fight, did they unmask the villain and it was Lee Harvey Oswald all along? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> there is a villain I'm asking, but uh, it's not Lee Harvey Oswald. No. Oh, okay. No. Sadly. Sadly not. Not Gary Oldman. But, uh, but we go from bright and colourful Batman to slightly darker and more Art Deco with Batman Mask of the Phantasm. You watched that this week? Yep. Oh, it's such a good film. Five stars. It's, uh, it's like, again, I didn't realise it's really about, it's about an hour and 15 minutes. It doesn't feel it. It zips along, but it's still one of the, it's still probably the best uh, portrayal of Batman Bruce Wayne in I've, in any means, I think so. Certainly, um, up until no, Nolan's trilogy. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, to be honest, the film clearly influenced Batman Begins. Yeah, um, it's interesting how the animated Batman series in the nineties has had such a positive impact on the Nolan trilogy, mm. and it's a shame that the, the, those those um, influences have kind of been diluted since. But no, Master the Phantasm's great. And, oh, and it's, it's probably it's got the, it's got one of the best Joker portrayals as well. Oh yeah, Mark Hamill is always his Joker. Yeah, um, a, a more violent Joker. A very violent Joker. Yeah. And yeah, it's like there was like characters being bumped off. Yes, this is real life. Yeah, because no, uh, we, we've been also binging on the animated series because we, we both got the Blu-ray sets yeah. and they look great mm. remastered. I did notice that every terrible thing that happens to someone, they, that there's a little, oh, they survived. Yeah. <laughs> where, where, Tiny exposition for where, the kids. Whereas, whereas this one, it's kind of like, oh, he drove his car off a parking garage into an office building. Oh, he surely must be okay. 
no, he did. <laughs> no, he did. And it's like, oh no, that guy's been crushed by a, by a, by a tombstone. Yeah, he did. <laughs> oh, that guy's got choker gas. Yeah, he did. Yep. Now he exploded. So you're almost <laughs> quoting Reginald D. Hunter there. You know, for the first he died, now he dead. Like, <laughs> oh, I'm swinging of murder by death. This man's condition does not improve. He is, he is unfortunately dead. <laughs> we'll go back to comic books. The greatest line in the history of Superman is, I'll kill you. I'll kill you dead. <laughs> Oh, wow, he's going to fatally kill him. Oh, no. Oh, God, don't remind me of the Rambo cartoon, please. We will watch that. We will provide a commentary for the Rambo Christmas special. But but yeah, Batman Mask of Phantasm. If you haven't watched that, I think for American listeners, it's on Netflix in America. Uh, UK, you can easily uh, rent or stream it on uh, all good platforms. And you really don't need to watch the rest. I mean, do watch the rest of the animated series anyway, Mm. but you can watch this standalone. And it still stands up really nicely. Uh, I think it's, I mean, an equal to it is um, the return of the Joker from Batman Beyond. Oh, yes. Uh, it's like, um, uh, I got really fascinated with Batman Beyond Return of the Joker because I, I was, uh, I think it was like 13, 14 at the time, really excited that it was coming out. Uh, had ordered it because this was coming out in America first. So I'd ordered a Region 1 DVD because we had a Region 1 DVD player at the same. time. Good man. And then, and then someone in Congress went, when wouldn't it be nice if cartoons were less violent and Warner <laughs> Brothers looked on the shelf and they saw they had a completed film of Batman Return of the Joker, which has a lot of dark things in it. Yeah, it's, it ups the ante. It's, it's like, hey, you know, let's take Robin and, you know, beat him senseless that he is a mindless zombie so we can turn him into a Joker as character in like in like in a flashback sequence. Spoiler. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it underlines part of the mystery of, of the thing. Um, and they just went, you know, oh, oh yeah, we should, we should really go back and, and make it more kitty-friendly. So they go back, they sort of put white flashes over impact shots, so when punches get thrown, all that sort of stuff. Uh, they change dialogue to make it sound less threatening, but it also sounds just as worse. So is it, there, is there, this like four kids level censorship? Well, no, no, there's, um, oh, what was it? Um, yeah, there's a line that's like the first major line of the Joker when he arrives in the, the Beyond universe. It's kind of like, oh, it's like this world is full of putzes. And they change it to this world is full of Yatsis. <laughs> so, and, and characters don't get killed. It, it, characters get killed in different ways. So there's one character who in the original version is shot through the heart with a flag gun. Yeah. Nope, we're going to change that. It's going to be laughing gas and he's going to die off screen. And it's it's just it's just so fat. It's 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 horrible. It's a horrible edit, but it's also so fascinating how much they went to cut, cover up. It's like, oh, we need this to be bright pink. Why? Because we can't have blood color on the wall. So it's really interesting because I I can't I can't remember how I don't know how, but I when I was similar age, I watched the uncensored version. That's mm. the first time I watched it. Yeah. So this is this is new to me. I I hadn't. <laughs> um, have you you've got the Batman Beyond set? Uh, not yet, no. no. Um, the DVD version that they included is the edited version. So I need to import an uncut yeah, version. Yeah, that's why I, I imported the uh, the Blu-ray German version. Just throw, yeah, throw the disc out, yeah. just put it in the box. But, if, but, if, you're fan- if, but if you ever want to see how, how, what is different about it, it, it is still a fascinating like 70 minutes of, oh, mm. this has happened. Do you, do you prefer the uncut version? Absolutely. Okay, so they're not. In, it's not like interesting alternative cut. Is actually uh, no, a no, no. I mean, I can understand what they were trying to do, and I, and I can understand the reasons behind it. But considering it was, a, it's a massive shot uh, shooting in the foot from Warner Brothers because they had sent review copies out to people, and people were going, "This is great. This is almost like Batman: Mask of the Phantasm level," and people were really excited. But then it's like, oh wait, 
no, you can't have that version. It's too violent now. We've made Batman too violent. Sorry, kids. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it's Batman Returns all over again. again. <laughs> Tim Burton, sod off. <laughs> but yeah, no, um, I haven't watched it this week, but I, I would like to, to watch that film at some point. Um, but yes. Um, and um, we, we are saying that the Scooby-Doo Batman film is better than both of those, right? No. <laughs> I, may, I, may be, I may be easily swayed by cute animation, but I know what's better. <laughs> um, I'll quickly wing through the rest of my choices. Um, we had, I watched The Rock, the, the Michael Bay. No, no, you just stared at Dwayne yeah, The Rock yeah, Johnson yeah, for stared. two hours. Yeah. Um, no, The Rock, uh, Michael Bay, uh, mid-90s. Um, this is kind of like the perfect combination of 90s blockbuster in, in a bubble. It's so, it's so ridiculous, it shouldn't work, but it does. And it's kind of like, you look at the cast. So basically the plot for anyone who hasn't heard of The Rock is um, rebel American soldiers led by Ed Harris. Uh, also in his team are David Morse, Tony Todd, John C. McGinley. So a, a real a real group of American character actors um, so like break in and they steal these dangerous nerve toxin missiles. They don't kill anyone. They they knock people out and basically say, well, we're just gonna knock people out and we're gonna steal it. So basically these these are strangely they're terrorists, but they know they're not supposed to be killing us. <laughs> they're terrorists with a heart. Terrorists with a heart <laughs> up until the point they sort of kidnap like 80 people who are who are touring Alcatraz, uh the defunct prison. As you do. And they kind of say, well, you need to you need to pay us $84 million or something like that it, within two days or we're going to launch these rockets into San Francisco. Um, because the, the, the reasoning behind it is basically um, Ed Harris has been in charge of so many um, uh, platoons, battalions that have gone through tours of duty of like uh, Afghanistan, Iraq and all that sort of stuff. And of course he like led the Apollo 13 mission yes, from, from NASA control. And he's seen, he's seen good people die and their loved ones have not being properly sort of compensated for their loss. So basically they've been left in a worse position than what than what has happened. And he's going, no, this doesn't stand. This is not American. Um, so he has to go to those sort of lengths. So he is a terrorist with a, a heart. heart. <laughs> yes, because at the start, because when he takes over Alcatraz and all that sort of, he, go, he goes, guys, we're about to be labelled as, as traitors to the country, but hopefully as time will show, we will be, we will be patriots of the country. And it's like, well, yeah, you're still pointing chemical weapons at San Francisco, <laughs> but okay. So in order to try and stop this, um, the American government turned to uh, two people. They turned to one, um, Nicholas Cage, who is an expert chemicals engineer. And he's like a rock and roll FBI chemical engineer because he just loves buying vinyl a lot. Because <laughs> the, the introduction, he's, he's got a Nerf gun. He's destroying little... Uh, little stands with his little pop up pop ball gun or something like that. Uh, so is is his is his char one characteristic is that he buys vinyl in the nineties. He's also a little bit wired and a little bit crazy. Oh, guess what? It's a Nicholas Cage role. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like the first bit you see of Nicholas Cage is like it's like oh there's a there's a package for you, Doctor Nicholas Cage. Oh yeah, great. Is, uh, it, is his character also called Doctor Nicholas Cage? No, I can't remember off the top of my head. <laughs> Um, but it's like, oh yeah, great. He opens up and he reveals like a, a Beatles vinyl album. It's like, yeah, it cost me $600, but the sound quality is so good. Which one? I don't know. I can't remember. It, they don't reference it. It just says, oh, look, it's the Beatles. 
It probably cost most of the budget just to show an image of that album. So yeah, they, um, so yeah, the government enlist his help because he knows the most about these chemical weapons when he's not listening to vinyl or 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 having gratuitous sex with his girlfriend or something like that. Whilst listening to like, uh, like Yellow Beatles, Submarine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do they actually use a Yellow Submarine to get to the rock? I just had a horrible <laughs> thought in my head. Go on, share. Uh, it's like it's like there's this the scene where we there's a scene where Nick Cage and his girlfriend are clearly shagging on the roof of the Yellow Submarine. No, no, just of their apartment. <laughs> and I'm just thinking now in the background they could have had we all live in the Yellow Submarine. Yellow <laughs> Submarine. Oh, good God! Look over there, John. There's Look a couple. Of, there's a couple of Americans making love on the roof. Oh. Oh, that's right. That's right, Paul. That's right. Ringo, stop staring. You're making them uncomfortable. Can't I'm going go- to do a drawing of the act for the fridge. Oh, that's right. right so, so, on the uh, fridge. Our impersonations are pretty good until that. What, what was that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. oh, shut up. I'm going off topic. But yeah, um, so they enlist Nicholas Cage and. Dr. Nicholas Cage. Dr. Nicholas. Nicholas. He's. I'm Dr. Dr. Nicholas Nick Cage. Who, what, where, how, Dr. Cage. Yeah. Isn't, isn't Sean Connery in this film? As yes, well? I, was to trying, yeah, I was trying to say Sean Connery until we got into the feverish nightmare. I was in the Beatles as well. Uh, I could only blame myself. <laughs> uh, oh, God. <laughs> but yes, uh, they also release uh, a prisoner played by Sean Connery, who is the only man to have escaped Alcatraz. So he must set and must lead them back in with a team of, <laughs> of Navy SEALs. However, the Navy SEALs get quickly wiped out. So then it's up to Sean Connery and Nick Cage to kind of work together and try and save the day. And so As forth. you do. It, it, it sounds like, it's, again, it sounds like the best of 90s action movies. <laughs> like, I mean, it does sound like a poor man's diehard, but is it fun at least? Oh, it's absolutely fun. There is a, there is a great segment. It's like they spend like half the movie not going to Alcatraz because they're still setting up the team. And there's a bit where uh, Sean Connery's demand is he wants a penthouse suite at like the, the most classiest of hotels. Yeah, and they go there and he has a haircut so he goes from like long hair to like suave oh this is what I looked like when I was Bond <laughs> that sort of thing just with a beard uh, he then escapes and he steals a Hummer uh, Nicholas Cage follows him in like a Lamborghini Thus begins the most silly, the most silliest of car chases in San Francisco, where Sean Connery's Hummer <laughs> is literally tearing through lots of things. As, as Michael Bay just basically watched Bullet with Steve McQueen yeah. and go like, imagine. But- but, ev- but every everything kind of either ends in a spectacular crash or an explosion. <laughs> <laughs> What's the, the point of trying to save San Francisco if Michael Bay's already been there? I mean, and the, and the, and the best, <laughs> and it just gets like you throw all the stereotypes. It's like, oh no, there's an old woman in the, walking the road. Oh no, I must drive the Hummer around. All that sort of stuff. And it gets to the stage. It gets to the stage where we have the tram. <laughs> you get, you just have a tram operator saying, "How is everyone today? Is it a nice day? Yes, it is. I hope you all enjoy the tram ride." And then they get knocked off their tracks, and it's like, "Oh no, the tram's also going to get destroyed." <laughs> but it's just basically, it just keeps introducing more things to this chase. You're just going, "No, stop it, Michael Bay!" It, you- it, it sounds more like Mario Kart than a. <laughs> When do they lo- when do they launch the blue shell I at like, Nick Cage? Like, but this is like an, this is up to like nearly an hour. Before, this is an, they have yeah they spend an hour before they technically go to the rock itself. I'm going to propose a remake of this film mm. where it's Sean Connery coming out of retirement to team up with Nick Cage to escape Dwayne the Rock Johnson. <laughs> 
It's just to him following them. Because that's no. terrifying, because he's a big chap. He is a big chap. Right. A big chap. Uh, right. We yeah. should get out before he lays a smackdown on us. Oh, no. You'll <laughs> <laughs> give me the people's elbow. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> so, yes, that was my uh, cinematic uh, past two weeks. Uh, yes, so uh, let's... <laughs> let... it, does, it does feel like um, you can tell who we are as people by the films we have watched. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I do, I do, watch, I do watch sensible stuff. Mm. For them, so, but no, it's like the reason. It's like the reason why I watched The Rock was because I watched Honest Trailers' um, take on The Rock a couple of weeks ago, and it was kind of I was watching, going, I haven't seen this film in ages, and it's like this this film. It's like when they just go, oh look, look at these established character actors as the good, as the bad guys <laughs> who technically have a very good reason for doing this. I mean, I'm, I'm, it's actually Ed Harris is um. You know, star of the right stuff and Apollo yeah. 13 I'm actually quite interested in like what I like about Ed Harris he's one of those actors who's just kind of you don't realise how big a bulk of work he's done yeah. he's just there in so many films oh, he's, yeah he's done a lot I mean it's like you look at um, uh, I think it was in the latest Westworld like yeah the he's, the, he's, the, he's the principal villain the, yeah. the man in black the or, man in black in Westworld he's um, excellent in that History of Violence with David Cronenberg mm. stuff like that so yeah it, his, his work is yeah, I'll be watched, I watched that film recently as well. He's very good in that. Oh, it started to rain. Oh, no. Oh, no. Speaking of rain, because it's quite a rainy movie, <laughs> should we watch, talk about The Invisible Man? Yes, let's move on to our first review of the episode and let's talk about Invisible Man. Here is a clip. He was a sociopath. He said that I could never leave him. He controlled how I looked and what I wore. Then I was controlling when I left the house and eventually what I thought. What happened to him? Adrian's dead. Listen, you're getting your freedom back, okay? He said that wherever I went, he would find me. Walk right up to me, and I wouldn't be able to see him. Adrian is dead. He's not dead. He has figured out a way to be invisible. So yes, The Invisible Man released earlier this year into cinemas just before lockdown began, but it is still it is still uh, showing at cinemas. So if you do mm. want to venture out to places like Showcase and that, it is showing there still, or you can uh, rent or buy online. So you have the choice of where you watch this. But basically, this stars Elizabeth Moss as uh, as a woman known as Cecilia, and she escapes her abusive relationship uh, at the very start of the film. But a couple of weeks later, her abusive ex has been found dead, uh, caused by suicide, and he has left her his fortune. Um, but as she thinks, or as it seems to begin, like, oh, the ideal new life has begun, she starts to question whether or not he really is dead, because strange things are going on around her. And... Uh, Yes, she believes that he is still there, haunting her, or literally there, mm. but invisible. 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 Now, um, the Invisible Man obviously has had a bit of an interesting uh, s- setup to here because obviously we had the Mummy a couple of years ago. I, I was going to say when I, when I started watching it, it did feel like this was designed as part of a cinematic universe. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yes, yeah, so obviously when The Mummy came out with Tom Cruise, they were trying to do a big dark universe. So they cast, uh, so they were going, oh yeah, Johnny Depp's going to be the Invisible Man. They're going to have Javier Bardem as the Wolfman and all that sort of stuff. Obviously The Mummy didn't do too well. 
<laughs> you think? Yeah. So um, they uh, they handed this. It seems like this got handed over to director Lei Wanel, who is responsible for a couple of really uh, iconic horror things, such as Bloomhouse Productions. From, yeah. With with Bloomhouse Productions, but he uh, for me he's best known as uh, one of the original writers of Saw with James mm. Wan. Mm. Uh, the original Saw is, I, I still love the original Saw. I think the original still holds up. Yeah. Um, but he's also been sort of paving himself a career as, as a director. Uh, his last film before this was Upgrade, which is a great sort of psychological sort of techno body horror. Yeah, I think, I think the first thing to say is, I think under different circumstances, I can very much imagine someone taking this idea, uh, not not obviously the whole idea, the whole side of characters, but if someone said, I want you to make an Invisible Man movie, I have a feeling someone would have gone off and made another Hollow Man. Yeah. With, because, well, which yeah. itself is based on like, I mean, this the Invisible Man is a, it was originally an H.G. Wells novel and mm. it's, it's been adapted a number of times. There was, did you see, did you notice a little, there was a cheeky moment early in the film where there's a man wrapped up in bandages. And yes. Like, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> a little, little witch, you know, wink to the audience. Mm. Like, I mean, this, this, what I really appreciated about this adaptation is it mm. feels very new. Mm. It's, it's taken the original ideas and, and created a very modern um, story. Because I think if you, if you take away, obviously, the fantastical technological aspect of it... Because it's, it's science fiction, it, not it, fantasy. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. The, it, it's still based in science fiction, and there is an explanation, obviously, why someone is being invisible around her. It seems uh, quite plausible, the way te- it, the similar technology the, in real yeah, life is being developed. I think, I think the strength of this film is, or one of the strengths is this does feel frighteningly plausible. Mm. If the technology exists today, and who knows, it, it might be, it, that sort of technology could exist very, very soon in the near future, especially for military and stuff like that. Yes. Obviously, we're just guessing. We're not saying it's happening. I, I've, 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 seen, I've read some articles and seen some yeah. documentaries where it, it, the technology is nowhere, from my understanding, the technology is nowhere near the level of this film, yeah. but we're in, in, on that path. But we're on that path. But, but but even in even in that sense, the the psychological horror aspect of this is very it feels very very real. Yeah, and that, that's the that's the brilliant aspect of this film. It, it manages to marriage the the spectacular science fiction element mm. with just basic psychological horror. Yeah. Um, it's 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 not that there is an invisible man per se that's caught, that really makes this film uh, work. It's yeah. the fact that this invisible man is gaslighting. Yeah. Um, it's touching. It's really, really effective. Little touches where you just see she's she's left a, a meal cooking on a stove. Yeah, she goes off, and then inexplicably the the, the gas has risen up, and there's a flame. Yeah, little touches like that, or moving things around, like mm. it's really, really disturbing because gaslighting is a dreadful thing to do to a human being. Mm. Um, and you know, it it really, I do feel that the film does a really good job of portraying the horrors of domestic abuse. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't feel doesn't feel cheap or just uh, for shock value. And and I think I think lesser filmmakers could have done a really poor job of this. And also, I think the fact is they don't. It's like yes, they show slight moments of it here and there. But I think more in the conveying of what ha- what what actually happened in terms of dialogue. I mean, you can class it as exposition, but it's like the scene where. Uh, Elizabeth Moff is sat talking to her sister and uh, their mutual friend, the, the police officer played by uh, uh, Aldous Hodge, and she's just sort of slowly talking about how he would manipulate her, how he would make her feel and stuff mm. like that. That feels, even though, yes, you can look at it and say, oh, it's a bit of exposition so you can understand the relationship, but it still feels like this is a conversation that would generally happen. Yeah, and then there's a degree of authenticity throughout the film. And, and I, I would say... 
I, I think Elizabeth Moss is what make, bring, yeah. elevates this film. Her performance is fantastic. Yeah. I mean, you're probably more familiar with her through um, uh, Handmaid. Yeah. Handmaid I, I'm more familiar with her through um, playing Peggy Olsen in um, Mad Men. Oh yes, 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 yes. I've seen bits of the first series of Mad Men. Uh, she she's excellent in Mad Men, and like she's very much a, an equal to um, um, to um, Don Draper. Name of the actor, John Ham. <laughs> Thank you, John Ham. <laughs> Just forgotten the name of one of my favourite actors there because mm. I'm being recording. I'm recording, obviously. Um, yeah, she, um, John Ham. Obviously, he tends to get all the. He seems to get all the praise and limelight for Mad Men, but she's very much an equal in that series, as far as I'm concerned. Mm. Um, and if you haven't seen Mad Men. I do thoroughly recommend that. Mm. Um, but yeah, she, she brings um, real raw emotional strength to this piece, which really does elevate it from the usual kind of... I mean, the problem... I love horror movies, but mo- <laughs> most horror movies are just kind of... How can we just... How can we scare the audience? Not really mm. con- not really thinking about great but character. I, but or I, ex- think, I think there's a nice mix here of certain things you, you have a sense are definitely going to happen. It's just a question of when, yeah. rather than... And it really it, does. It does build up dread quite well. There is there is one particular scene where something happens, and I generally did not see that coming. Yes, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting because up until without we won't mention what happens. Yeah. Obviously, it's, it's around about the halfway mark. Yeah, I kind of felt like I was second. I, I knew where everything was going. Yeah. Um, up until that point, oh, okay, we're going to go here. Yep, that's happened. Yep, that's happened. Yep, that's happened. And then the, uh, the film changes direction and it completely yeah. took me by surprise. And I yeah. couldn't work out where the film was going up to that point. Yeah. Because it was kind of like, is he dead? Is he alive? All that sort of stuff. Because you are second guessing, <laughs> you are second guessing, kind of going, he could actually be dead. Yeah. Oh, wait a minute. He's, he's alive, isn't it? Just like, and you just keep asking yourself questions. These, in ambiguity. That's like, is, is this, is this her genuinely going mad? Or yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. But I, I think, yeah, I think considering I'm not the biggest fan of horror mm. in terms of this, this was something I was genuinely interested in because of how it was coming across, how it was being presented. Um, I think technically how they film, uh, scenes with the, with the invisible man is astonishing. They, I think I shared a, I shared yes. a video with you yesterday after I watched the film of how they sort of constructed like one sequence of basically going, they actually in, brought in computed, computer motored cameras to do the same movements time and time again, every time. So when they were doing different layers of shots, so they would do, they would do the se- some of the scene with Elizabeth Moss. Um, but then when it came into con- um, it's like, uh, physical alterations with the Invisible Man. Obviously, they have someone in a green suit, so they can remove that. But they also have a stunt performer, so they do the they do they stop the camera and then they go again with throwing the actress across the table, the stunt performer across the mm. table. But the way they they do the shot several times, so again they can they can match every time. So when it goes into the visual effects element, they can tidy it up and they can kind of make it and, and generally make it like no one's there, but this action's happened and it feels a lot, gener- it feels real. Um, it was quite funny. It's like, it's easy. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think the director was went on record. I can't remember the, the quote off the top of my head, but he kind of said, it's easy to m- turn someone into like a monster or to a werewolf with visual effects. It's hard to make someone disappear on the film. <laughs> <laughs> It reminds me there's a, there's a brilliant episode of Doctor Who. It, it wasn't completely, it wasn't finished um, because of industrial action, but it was called Sharda. It was written mm. by Douglas Adams. And um, they basically, they couldn't work out a budget for a spaceship. So Douglas Adams just wrote an invisible spaceship. <laughs> <laughs> 
and he said like it takes a real genius to like I'm, again I'm paraphrasing but it, like anyone could invent a spaceship it takes a genius to invent an invisible spaceship <laughs> like, yeah. I mean I mean there's still the like the classic tropes of trying to discover it was like finding your invisible person no just pour some paint over them yeah <laughs> like again me, me normally me and Midge are quite silent when watching films we like to absorb them but this we were like there were moments where we were screaming at the television like, like throw paint, throw paint. <laughs> like, like get flour get flour <laughs> it's like, was like it's like oh poor coffee beans on the, yeah. on the ground and it's like no no if he's watching you do that he's not going to walk into the coffee field <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's one of those great films that makes you think what would you do yeah. if there was an invisible person stalking mm. you like it's really yeah. you really yeah really really got caught, caught up in this movie mm. uh, more so than I was expecting mm. and I'm, I'm really I, I'm left really impressed mm. I I think it, it, it again I don't want to go in, we're not going to reveal yeah, details yeah. the plot beyond the, the sort of initial setup. It, it does have a very satisfying conclusion I felt mm. may turn some people off yeah, um, okay, I, I can see what you mean. Yeah, I, I actually, I actually, I actually was quite satisfied with the movie as a whole. Um, it's interesting, actually. The thing about the film, it didn't feel like it was there to set up another film. Know. It was like this could be a nice sort of standalone, standalone yeah. film. I got, I got the impression that this was, this was standalone. Yeah, which is nice because it is. I understand that horror, unlike. Unlike other genres, I know in comics we kind of comic book movies seem to be the franchises. Horror was always the franchise. Um, genre mm. um, so the, one of the biggest strengths was the, also one of its weaknesses is the fact that you know films would be invalidated because they're just they're thrown they're discarded in order to set up the second film the third film fourth film and they just you know they kind of t- they take away something from the, the, the usually the first film of the franchise is what's mm. special and it, it gets eroded over the decades yeah um, this I would be really glad if they just left this alone yeah as a, as a standalone and don't probably won't because it's made so much money it made a lot of money before yeah it, it a lot of good reviews it had a lot of good reviews it only had like it, you can tell this is and not when i say this it's not disparaging because it, it looks good but it was it's clearly a cheap movie mm. uh, but it only cost about seven eight million dollars well, to produce well that's the, that's the i think that's some of the credit that Leigh Brunel has had as a filmmaker especially when he's been working with james one on the saw films it's like the it's like the first saw was less than a million dollars i think really that's amazing. Yeah, because yeah, because when you had a, a saw film every year for like eight seven years after the first one, the business model is perfect. It's basically it costs you about less than five five six million to and make you're a film. Get 100 you, back. you you film you film it you film it in three weeks. You write it. It's like it's like uh, you have a, a period. You go right. We're going to write it. We're going to shoot it. Three weeks. We're going to edit it. We're going to get out on Halloween and repeat the process again. Because the Saw movies kept making money, mm. and the fact is, if it's going to make money, regardless of what the critics think, they're going to do it. Yeah, um, I think because they, I think they still got the Chris Rock. Uh, saw spin-off coming at some point. Oh, really? Yeah, which again looks gem- generally from a spin-off perspective looks really good. I think I need, I need to. I might revisit the Saw movies this Halloween. Mm. <laughs> Just have a big ten I, movie. It's like I. It's like I love. I, I think I enjoy Saw as a franchise because I kind of like the idea that they were trying to build like a world around the Jigsaw or around Jigsaw himself as a character, as a killer, and so forth. And because a lot of things, obviously, like Halloween, it's like Friday the Thirteenth or Halloween or something. Well, every, like that. These films have that boogeyman, basically. Yeah, yeah. it's ba- basically when with those sequels, it's kind of like it's more of the same. And it's like we saw, it's like yes, it is more of the same, but at least they're trying to kind they of they go in interesting directions. They're trying each to flesh movie. out the story. They're trying to give <laughs> flesh out as the appropriate oh, phrase. Yeah. There, <laughs> they're, try, they're trying to give you a little bit more of a an idea of this world that this killer has 
has uh, has existed in. And sometimes it's very plausible. It gets it gets absolutely ludicrous towards like films six, seven, or eight because it's like you've got the first three films, and then you've got a particular set of main characters in the next three films, and it's kind of it's kind of like how how weird is this going to get? <laughs> but again, as I was, as I was talking, touching upon earlier, the problem is. The, the fact that these become such successful franchises, they end up just becoming a parody of themselves. Mm. I mean, the first Nightmare on Elm Street is an incredible movie, yeah. but the character has been, it becomes such a self-parody, like the Freddy Krueger character. Like, yeah. Yeah, like he ends up like, um, I swear I've seen one of the later movies, he starts rapping and stuff like that. Oh God. <laughs> it's, 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 things it's probably like, Freddy versus Jason, if anything. <sighs> I think it's it. I can't remember. I need a. I need again. Oh, I need a nightmare. I don't yeah, know. I, I need a. I need a binge on these things one more time. Like. <laughs> the thing I always love with Saw is they always have the big reveal with the with the sweeping score of da 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 da. Because <laughs> when they start doing that, you just go, you just go, oh shit, shit's about to go down. <laughs> I, I, I must say, actually, talking of scores, the music in the Invisible Man was great. Yeah, like, really, really good. Especially when it, there were moments, the climactic moments. Oh, like the. Like, Huge like, crescendos yeah. that really, really, and and just I love I love the cinematography. Mm. I loved how kind of stark and yeah. like um and it, it's the long lingering shots that make you think something mm. is there, but yes, it, are they there? That's and, um, the that's they're, the they're, they're kind of the kind of pseudo POV shots. Yeah, there's, there's one there's one shot of the cameras. You would normally shoot a character from this angle in the sort of the way this in this huge mansion mm. complex, and it's such, such an odd angle. It's it's almost as if you are the Invisible Man, and my, and my partner turned around to me and she's like, "Oh, that's not a good omen, is it?" <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Nope." <laughs> but no, I, I I generally think Invisible Man. Um, even if if you like a good thriller, give it a go mm. because I wouldn't like I said I don't I wouldn't class this as a horror. I'd class this more of a psychological thriller. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm yeah. I mean, there there are again there are horror tropes. To it. Exactly. I mean, with, with all these films, they kind of branch out into their subgenres, yeah. sort of like tropes. But um, yeah, I think this is more thriller. Yeah, it's more of a mystery sci-fi based thriller. Yeah. And but um, then again, sci-fi still left left fairly nice in the background. I suppose it's like it, it's there. It's just it's not over the top. It's not no. it's not beyond the realms of plausibility. No, um, no. because it's, it, it's surprisingly grounded for, yeah. for quite an elaborate story. It, it absolutely is. Yeah, it's it is a grounded take on a classic Universal movie monster, and I think. I think in this day and age, I think that's the best route to go with. Yeah. I mean, it'll be interesting to see what they do next um, in terms of the, the dark universe side of things because they're not, they're not really connected anymore. They're not they? really connected, but they are trying to convince Leigh Whannell to uh, take over on the Wolfman with, and get Ryan Gosling to work Yeah, I've, I've, I've under the impression Ryan Gosling has already been cast. Yeah, I think he's, or, I think he's already That's involved. really interesting. I'm, I'm looking forward yeah. to that. Yeah, if we can get some good films out of this terrible <laughs> terrible plan yeah. i'm happy for a bad mummy movie because we've, we've got the 90s ones they're, oh yeah we they're, can go back fun. To they're fun they're fun they're with what's his name um, brendan fraser thank you so, <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah so let's do you, just to- sorry just, sorry do you am i the only one who watches the first two mummy mo- movies rooting for the mummy so I don't, all he wanted to do was just basically get to fourth base with the bloody pharaoh the pharaoh's wife yeah, he doesn't really have an I want <laughs> to take that's, that's, that's I it. don't think he has a real sort of I want to take over the world yeah. vibe, is it? He just he wants to be Jet Lee's mummy definitely wanna take yeah, over yeah, the world. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hmm, maybe need to revisit that film. <laughs> I, I'm I'm with the mummy. I mean like yeah. Let, you're, you're with him, Imitate. You're with you're with Arnold Wusloo. Let him score. <laughs> but um yeah, oh, no. what what are we gonna give the visible man? Uh, I'm very happy to give this four. Me too. I was yep. thinking solid four star movie. Solid four star movie, it's 
it's one of the better ones out there at the moment in yeah. terms of new films. So if you haven't had a chance to see it, there are plenty of ways to see this film now. So uh, I do recommend it. I will be fascinated to see a breakdown of its revenue mm. for, compared to like traditional cinema and streaming and stuff like that. Well, it was one of the films that went straight to, um, well, went on to... Because it's weird, because as you were saying just a moment ago, you can see this film in the cinema download it and buy it yeah. <laughs> you can buy it digitally and I was in HMV the other day you can buy it on 4k all at the same time I can't remember yeah, a, I'm just, a film uh, like I'm this just, uh, I'm just trying to see if I can get um, Fandango video on demand yeah Invisible Man did do some good I haven't got money totals but it, it was ranking like the top 10 of hmm. Soul Like Streams because they did the bit obviously they had a big success of Trolls with Universal so again it's like I think the Invisible Man has definitely capitalised yeah. on, on I, lockdown. I really, what I, what I want from this, again, I'm not interested in sequels, but what I want from this is more Elizabeth Moss-driven movies. So she, just another thing to touch upon, she's great in this. Mm. Not not just on an emotional level, in terms of the physicality of the role, like she's a kick-ass mm. heroine. I think she, she might be, I'm not sure if she's going to be held in a sort of Ripley, Sarah Connor Mm. sort of like levels but I, I think there I think she's up there right mm. so but again it's like I think that the strength of that performance again for, for the invisible man is she's an everyday she comes across as an everyday woman mm. character it's not like oh she's uber pretty because she's an uber pretty girl that's in a bad relationship or something like that she's it's, not Michael Bay no exactly <laughs> no, she's exactly. not Michael Bay's idea of a woman she's a plausible actual human being yes. three-dimensional character yeah and again I think that's what makes the Invisible Man just a, a really solid and uh, it, wait, it's, a, it's it's a thrill. It's a, like a thrill ride in a way. So yeah, yeah. Can, you can you can have some enjoys. It's like it, you'll you'll get the thrills. You'll have the Your shocks. Gut will be kicked. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You'll, and you'll feel un, uh, you feel <laughs> absolutely tense about it. So uh, yes, and uh, paranoid for the next two days. Yes, just going. <laughs> is there someone in the corner? Anyway, what, um, what's more, more maybe more paranoid, the Invisible Man or JFK? I don't mm, know. Mm, mm. No. Mm, anyway, but yes, definitely watch the Invisible Man. Four stars. It's available. Everywhere. everywhere so you can both buy you have them. no excuse you, you can, can watch you, it anywhere you can like. rent it you can buy it you can go to the cinema and still see it do it anyway before we move on to our next movie review we are going to change our scenery and while we do that let's find out about another bunkerzilla podcast that you can listen to right now on all good podcasting platforms film raw continues in a few moments you know what really bugs me about historical films i'll bet you there's a lot more that bugs me oh my god we should totally make a podcast about this what about what bugs us in historical films oh you are a history teacher and you are a history graduate so we can totally discuss what's real in historical films and what's real real yeah you know like a film reel they used to have those things before the internet and videos Listen to the Real History UK podcast. Reality is stranger than fiction. And after all, all history is a spoiler. Find new episodes on bunkerzilla.co.uk or on your favourite podcast networks and apps. Excuse me. That's a bad outfit. <laughs> Miss, I've got you. You, you've got me. Who's got you? Well, hello again. We've we've changed scenery because we're we're no longer in the comfort of my kitchen. We've actually decided to sit in a car in a car park 
at the Showcase Cinema Deluxe in Reading because we've actually decided to take a little trip out and uh, we went to see the original Christopher Reeve Superman film at the Showcase, part of the many different films that they are showing at the moment because, um, like we said previously, they've had... Uh, they've had some very recent releases still returning. So Invisible Man, like we've talked about earlier, Sonic's still there, uh, Emma and all that sort of stuff. But they've been doing, they've, as we talked about previously, they had the list of about 450 films. And what I really do like about Showcase, and I will stress this, the show has not been sponsored by Showcase, but, <laughs> but, the, but, but, but the fact of the matter is, is like when I, at the moment, at time of recording, I believe Showcase and Odeon Cinemas are open at the moment. But the way I've seen how Odeon have approached it, Odeon have just kind of gone, Here's everything that was still showing when we closed, with a little bit of beast, a little bit of, a little bit of Bohemian Rhapsody here, a little bit of uh, Empire Strikes Back here, and all that sort of. What Showcase have done is on a weekly basis they rotate the films around. So I think starting, maybe I think starting this week, I might be wrong. They're showing the first Lord of the Rings film, so Fellowships showing yes, yes, all day. Next week they're going to put on Two Towers and, and so forth, and they've been doing the same with the Potter films, and uh, and a lot of other things as well. And that's been really really good. So. Obviously, with with Superman appearing, I, the reason I picked Superman was I've never seen it before. Well, I've I have seen bits of it, but not properly all in one go as an adult. So that was the film choice I made. Um, so yeah, Christian is still with me. Sorry, you haven't heard him here because we're sharing a microphone in a car. That's a, that's a relief. It's a relief for the audience not to hear me, isn't it? Uh, possibly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, yeah, let's just quickly just uh, tap onto the uh, to the movie going experience at the moment because obviously. COVID-19, where everything's being very sort of safe and measured and all that sort of stuff. And to be perfectly honest, um, I, I was I felt perfectly safe going to showcase today. Yeah, I felt the same. I, we wore face masks in the uh, in the foyer. Um, they had sensible measures, distance measures for re- the kiosks. Staff are wearing appropriate clothing. Um, there, there wasn't that many people there, to be honest. More people seemed interested in the Costa nearby. Um, and the seats, the seats allocated, there are pairs, but they were spread out. Yeah. So you and I, we sat, we sat next to each other, even though the, the chairs are quite, they're, they're not like the, they're not like Ryanair. <laughs> they are quite big. Yeah. So um, yeah, I didn't feel like I, I could stretch my arms out, sat next to you, and I felt fine. Um. So yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, you're right. Um, the main just going in, getting food and drink was absolutely fine. Nice, nice social distancing, and yeah, the screen itself. Um, yeah, I think there was still a, a good number of people in. I think there was six about or eight, six or eight. It felt like I, I didn't really. I was too distracted by the film to be honest. But well, when I went in there, it was, it was like I was amazed at how dark it was. <laughs> I it's weird. I've been in the cinema for seven months, and I, I, I struggled to get the torch app on my phone. I'm just like, like, no, not my not my notifications. I don't know where I am. <laughs> well, it's like I've been, I've been to the cinema many, 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 many times over the years, and I entered, and I thought, oh, I'll be able to see where I'm going. It's like, oh. It's really dark in here. Where are we going, Christian? Lead on. Like, never, never let me lead because we'll just fall down a dark hole. Like, you know, like the one in that Simpsons episode of the baseball. Just like, yeah. Or the one in Dark Knight Rises. It's like, yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, uh, we, I think it was mostly trailers we had uh, uh, peppered in with a little bit of just be, be mindful of how you sort of go around the cinema so basically after the film if you have a mask please put the mask on maintain social distancing use the wipes and um bacteria 
bacteria pumps. Yeah, th- th- there was plenty of uh, hand sanitizer about. So, I mean, there's security staff as well that were like um, checking us before we went in. Mm. So I felt perfectly comfortable, to be honest. I- I'd imagine if 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 you're vulnerable, you'd probably want to avoid this kind of thing anyway, just mm. like as you would be for like shopping and whatnot. And hopefully, you'd have the support of relatives or other means to get your groceries and whatnot. But it's it's nice to have a little bit of normality, even though there are restrictions in place. It doesn't feel particularly suffocating um no I'm, I'm just glad i was able to take the face mask off for the film i don't know if i could have uh, watched uh, i feel i feel bad you have these surgeons working 10 11 hour shifts wearing all this ppe without complaining and there's me 10 minutes in with my custom-made matilda um, <laughs> um i've also got a spider-man one just like going, <laughs> my face is hot i'm so weak like i couldn't be a nurse no but um no no i'm i'm with you i feel i felt i felt very safe um yep it was nice just to take the mask off obviously well i had popcorn and drinks obviously i needed to take the mask (laughs) off otherwise it would have been a bit of a disaster um but no um no again like you said as we were coming in uh staff were just checking if we were actually coming to see a film or if we were just planning to loiter i think we were planning to loiter they would have pointed us to the costa absolutely i mean you do look like a loiterer it's just you have a general loitering vibe about you Mm. yeah yeah yeah, very true that very true uh and you got yourself an ice cream i did i did it took me a while to realize i couldn't eat it with the mask on but i got there in the end (laughs) (laughs) thanks for the ice cream that was a nice treat my pleasure. You can buy the ice cream next time round. <laughs> so you get to, you get to buy the drinks and refreshment next time we do this. Um, so yeah, if you feel safe enough to go outside and go to the cinema, um, our experience has been very very positive. So hopefully, if you've been going to a, if you go to another cinema across the country, hopefully you have a similar good experience as well. Um, but obviously, if you if you don't feel it's safe enough, then by all means, keep safe. Make, uh, yeah, just just keep safe. And again, there are plenty of other ways to watch movies at the moment. You are not missing anything new at the cinema at the moment. And I think with the delays of things like Tenant and Mulan and all that, all that again, it's like I think this is just I think it's just a nice way to try and keep the uh, cinema industry going, even with the list of this this big list of films has definitely been capitalised on by by showcase here. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It is interesting, though. I, I know I've said over the last couple of weeks I'm looking forward to the big blockbuster movies, like like Bond and Tenet. Um, to be honest, watching Superman right now, I, uh, I kind of miss the home comforts I've gotten used to over the last seven months. <laughs> uh, I realised I couldn't pause it and make a cup of tea. And um, I didn't really feel any difference between watching a decent 4K at home, my nice big telly. And um, the big screen, that was quite a surprise for me. I don't feel like cinema's particularly necessary anymore. That's the shift I've had last two hours. I don't know if you feel the same. Um, for me, I think it was just it was just quite nice to be in the cinema ambience again because, yeah, it's just it's just a nice thing about the darkened screen, the, the surround sound and so forth, which... I think I can tick, I can sort of like I have a decent setup, but it it doesn't it doesn't match anything like the cinema here. I think my <laughs> something I noticed immediately it was like about ten minutes into the movie. I tried to open up a, a, my chocolate bar, and I, I all those awful um, memories of people annoying me with food wrappers just flooded into my brain in one moment. I was just hit in the face by it, and I've I've never been more self conscious in a cinema life. It was like. <laughs> Get out my brownie! Come on, get out brownie! Where's the dog? <laughs> had to had to wait for the first big loud scene to get that go because <laughs> because if you went went for the, the the quietest of quietest of afflictive moments in Superman, it just would have been been oh, I was like I wish I was there for my father. 
it, it was the moment Jonathan Kent died. I just like opened my sandwich, went, no, what have I done? <laughs> I've just killed the moment. <laughs> you monster. I know, I know. <laughs> so let's talk about Superman. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, I have seen bits and pieces of it, but never probably in full, probably as an adult, to kind of pick up a lot more. And it's very interestingly pace especially probably the first half because you spend a good sort of 15 20 about 15 20 minutes with uh destruction of krypton in terms of marlon brando as jorel yeah. all that sort of stuff and then you have a, a small little portion of young clark kent sort of uh being found by jonathan and martha kent uh being sort of brought up going through loss of his the smallville chapter and then the second half of the movie is basically here is christopher reeve just doing superman stuff which is lovely yeah i think yeah the, the pacing is very interesting i, I think it, it's the beats work very well for this there's no point does it feel like it's going too fast or too slow it just it just hits the right beats all the way through um i think it's one of the better origin movies i mean we've had we've had a sl- we've had God knows, hundreds, it feels like we've had hundreds of comic book origin movies since this came. I say since this came out, since the late noughties. Mm. I mean, this is 78. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't really until Batman 10 years later that there was a real sort of kick to get more comic book movies out. Mm. Um, but no, the, the, I think you're right. The pacing works very well. Um, and you feel, you feel every every element of Clark Kent, Superman's life is um, presented to you as much time as you need and you get everything you want. Um, nothing feels left out. You, you can connect to all the characters and all, um, and every, all, his, um, all of Superman's life experiences um, very, very efficiently. Mm. Very efficiently. It does a, it does a better job of um, teaching you who these characters are and making you fall in love with them mm. in about 10 minutes, more so than every single Superman movie that's been released since combined. Mm. Um, I, 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 I feel like every Superman movie that's come out since this, including the Christopher Re- the later Christopher Reeve ones, which uh, the fourth one, if you've never seen, is, is abysmal. Mm. Um, they really fail to get you emotionally connected to these characters. Mm. While with this, combination of the script and the performances, mm. straight away, you, you, you're in love with those characters and then you know who they are. I mean, the charisma that Christopher Reeves exudes as both Clark Kent and Superman mm. is phenomenal. And at no point do you ever feel like... <laughs> if you're in that world, you would never believe Clark Kent as Superman, mm. even though it's the physically the same human being playing this character. Mm. And I don't think that's been... I don't think any performer since has managed to get that right. Mm. Uh, I don't know how you feel about... I, I, I think Reeves is superb in this. I really do. Um, it's... I think... To sum up, just to follow up and to confirm your point, just the scene after he's had this interview mini flight trip with uh, Lois Lane, oh. with Mar- is it Margaret Kidder? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, basically, he's dropped, Superman's dropped off Lois, and then Clark Kent suddenly at the door. <laughs> and then there's the bit where he comes in and Lois goes off to sort of freshen up or something like that and then you just you see you see Clark Kent go from like takes off his glasses and he goes from yeah he goes goes from like kind of timid kind of uh, timid sort of too too nice guy to kind of just stand up guy and and you just see not just the transformation of the body but also the face and the mannerisms as well and that 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 is astounding because you can't it's like I can't it's like I do not remember seeing another superhero movie especially when someone's balancing an alter ego and the real thing to just just 
just be able to switch between two personalities like that. Yeah. I think, I mean, we talked about Batman Mask of the Phantasm earlier. I think if anyone's come close to kind of doing something like that in a, in a vocal aspect, I definitely think Kevin Conroy's on it because yeah. the Bruce Wayne and the Batman are so, are so distinctly different that you can go, I can believe that's Bruce Wayne, I can believe that's Batman. And here in the physical form, you can believe that Christopher Reeve on one side is Clark Kent and then when he takes the glasses, he becomes Superman and you believe that. Absolutely. I think Bat- Batman has a real problem balancing the two characters. Um, like, um, I think of the Tim Burton movies, I think Michael Keaton is an excellent Bruce Wayne. I'm not too convinced of him as a great Batman. Uh, Christian Bale, I'm kind of the other way around. It might have, um, even though I'm not being disparaging between either of them, I think they're great overall. Um, in terms of Superman, I look at Henry Cavill and I, I, I think he's... I think he has the potential to be a great Superman, but I haven't really seen Clark Kent in him yet. Yeah, so getting the alter egos, that's, and that's the brilliance of this performance. And, and, and speaking of dynamics as well, the, the relationship between Lois Lane and um, Superman slash Clark Kent is done so well in this. Mm. I mean, this, this film is, is a romance first mm. and a comic, comic movie second. Mm. And it's, it's very much a love at first sight. And yes, it, yes it, there is a an element of naivety and earnestness to the movie, uh, a wholesomeness, um, so to speak. But I don't think that um, uh, detracts from the movie at all. I, I think it's more of a reflection of how cynical comic book movies have become over the last 10 years, where a film like Superman kind of feels weirdly out of step. Mm. Um, even even like, little quips like um, Superman saying, you know, f- um, the fight for truth, justice in the American way. I thought, <laughs> oh yeah, like like he would say that today. Even though Lewis Lane does reply with that brilliant line, like, well, you're going to have to fight every politician in the country then. Like, oh, okay, mm. this film isn't as naive as I thought it was. Mm. But um, it's, it's certainly harking back to um, the more golden age of um, the comic book industry. It, it feels like a, a strange retro future, sort of like a throwback to the 30s, 40s. Mm. Um, more successful in the way Tim Burton did it in in his Batman movies. They're, they seem more aesthetic as opposed to the heart of the story. While this feels like it's caught the heart of that era very well. Mm. I was going to touch on, um, obviously you mentioned Burton and, and using his, that era for, for Batman. I I think he, 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 started, he laid the foundational work, but I think something like Batman the Animated Series took that concept and really ran with it. Yeah. But anyway, we're, we're moving into Batman territory. We were talking about yeah, Superman, yeah. really. Um, but no, I mean, it's just, it's just, it's a very, very breezy affair. And I mean, it's just kind of like, it's it's wonderfully balanced by the Saturday morning cartoon villainy that is Gene Hackman as Lex Luthor. <laughs> Gene Hackman is, he's, he's just, you can tell he's having such fun doing this. And in his performance as Lex Luthor, I mean, the crazy ri- wigs just <laughs> make you laugh every time he has a new wig on. Just like, oh, come on. Um, yeah, he's, he's, he's enjoying this immensely. And you, you know, that just resonates so well. And it, and it does the, the brilliance of, uh, the Lex Luthor character is the, is the flip opposite is the, uh, of Superman you know while Superman is a, this, this incredibly strong boy scout Lex Luthor is a, is a feeble mortal who happens to be an evil genius mm. um, be, I, was just, I was trying to think of like um, where, would you, where would you go with Lex Luthor because um, I do not although although the actors who have played Superman since I think they've done an okay job I don't think they've reached the heights of Christopher Reeve mm. um, the actors who have played Lex Luthor since this movie, uh, specifically Kevin Spacey and um, Jesse Eisenberg, I think they were atrocious. Mm. Um, they didn't really seem to capture the character at all very well. I don't know, it was very strange. I think, well, with Superman Returns, I think Spacey was just trying to do a, a Gene Hackman impersonation and it just didn't really work. Didn't have the charm. I, 
Oh, sorry, he didn't have the charm to sort of like carry that off. Yeah, and uh, Iceberg was just, I think it was just, again, they were just going, hey, you were really good being the smart bastard <laughs> in the social network. Could you just do that just for DC? Yeah, the problem with um, his, his take on Lex Luthor is he was actually playing the Riddler. And uh, <laughs> no one had the heart to tell him he was um, Lex Luthor. <laughs> that is true. Um, I mean, in terms of... I mean, in terms of other performances, I mean, I think Michael Rosenbaum played him for Smallville, and I think that wasn't. I think that went. I think that was well received. Not necessarily the same length as of Gene Hackman, but then in terms of vocal performances, the only other the only other performance that springs to mind is Clancy Brown for the animated series, otherwise known as Mr. Krabs. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yeah, it's true actually. Or the Kurgan. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're going back into the animated territory, but it's like it's interesting. The the nineties animated Superman which does tie in obviously with the mm. Batman cartoon you could tell it's, it's taking its influence from this version of Superman like as well yeah. um, I love I love the look of Metropolis in that and, and again Metropolis feels like a great character I love I mean the, the real strength of this Superman movie is its cast and they've tried to replicate that in a, in a, a number of other Superman movies like throwing these big names like in the like in Man of Steel Russell Crowe and um, uh, Lawrence Fishburne etc but the, the cast of this Superman movie feel they gel a lot better. Mm. It's not just random names thrown at a you know, for for the sake of a poster. The, yeah. These the the casting has a lot of care and consideration in it. Marlon Brando is a phenomenal choice, and, and it's interesting how Gene Hackman is. He's not taking the role serious, but he's, he's having fun, and that really helps resonate. Marlon Brando is he had decided he's clearly decided to take the role very seriously, mm. and it, it really adds the, it's it's the right level of gravity need sorry gravitas. right level so it's the right level of gravitas needed for that particular um that particular part of the story. It's again this film knows when to take itself seriously and it knows when to take itself lightly, mm. which I think recent super not just Superman movies, recent comic book movies are really struggling to balance that mm. sort of like because uh, at no point although, although there's a lot of tongue in cheek in this film at no point does it detract from the drama at all. I mean, like, there are moments that really heartbreak that are really heartbreaking, especially towards the end. I mean, can we talk about spoilers? Because this is a 40-year-old movie, I think. Like, the, the, the de- like if you want to skip, <laughs> like, I'll skip a minute or two, but, the, yeah, the death of Lois Lane really is powerful. I, 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 I felt goosebumps. I, I almost shed a tear just seeing, that Chris, again, Christopher Reeve's performance, just that pain he brings, and it's such a believable pain for what is such an earnest God. It's... Mm. Yeah, it's a tricky role to get right, and he just nails it. It's weird to think that he was... Um, I can't remember. I think it was um, Richard Donner had to fight tooth and nail to get him cast. Mm. Um, but, I mean, it didn't work out for him because, obviously, he was fired during this film. Have you, have you seen... The second, isn't it during the second one he got fired? Yeah, because they basically... Superman 1 and 2 were filmed together. Mm. So most of the footage for Superman 2 had already been completed when Donner got sacked because it, but it was budget. He was, he was spending way too much money, and I... So Richard Lester, who probably was most famous at that point for directing um, Hard Day's Night by the Beatles, mainly mainly sort of like British comedy films, was brought in. And Superman 2 is frustrating because there's a, a lot of the promise built up in the first movie kind of falls flat under his direction. There is an alternative cut. They've About 10 years ago, some, someone in the Warner Brothers archive basically recut the film to Richard Donner's original take. Because mm. when he was fired, like Marlon Brando famously like refused to let them use his footage for Superman 2. Mm. So they had to do a lot of... Uh, and in, in Superman 2, Gene Hackman, he, he quit in, in response as well. So the, the, you can tell when they're refilming it because uh, Lex Luthor's always facing away from the camera. <laughs> 
Oh, it's like we were, we were talking about we were talking about cuts earlier in the episode, especially with Batman Beyond Return of the Joker. I think this would be actually quite fascinating as well. Yeah, I mean, I would... The, the Donner cut is meant to be more faithful to the original vision of one and two. Um, I haven't seen it. I've only seen the theatrical cut and I, I'm not a fan. I think I've, it, the second one has aged badly while the first one, because obviously, obviously you can tell when it's model works and you can, you can tell how Superman's flying in front of a screen and stuff, but you still, the, the charm and strength of the, of the story and the performances and the direction keep you going. Mm. Like, um, and not, not just that, we have to talk about John Williams' score. Oh. How, how do you compose this score and the score to Star Wars in the same, in the same calendar year? Like, well, that, you could just retire, and that's your legacy. Mm. Um, that, that Superman theme, you're never going to get mm. <laughs> anything as close to that. Every Superman movie has to have that in now. It's just, um, it's, yeah, that, that score is just so... Well, it's, it's just the best fanfare in cinema, mm. I feel. Uh, absolutely. So the moment you just hear that, da, 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 you just know, yep, this is a Superman moment or a Superman time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, no, I, I, it's looking at through dispassionate, um, sort of like modern eyes. There are there are glaring flaws in the in the film. But um, the biggest problem is the Krypton, the Kryptonite subplot is kind of just thrown together, and the the explanation presented through the Lex Luthor character the sort of like the, the the serious moment of exposition it's just kind of out there it's just kind of it's, it's a real it's a real logical leap to how he works he doesn't even work out he just kind of instinctively knows that Kryptonite's going to kill Superman it's like how do you know that because <laughs> that's pretty much it and it, it's, it's it's a bit frustrating and also the time travel element where Superman goes back in time to save Lois Lane's life um, it, it looks good and it's an, it, I think it's an interesting idea. That it was clearly, it feels like it was spitballed pre-production. They're like, wouldn't it be great if Superman did this? But the problem is, it kind of it, it invalidates all the drama that had been built up to that point because then everything can be retconned. And then if, if, if everything can be retconned, then everything is meaningless. The thing I don't understand with the time travel bit is basically, did did the missiles even hit? Because it just kind of, it goes back in time and then it's kind of like, hey, Lois, hey, Supes, I'm out of gas. Ah, oh, shame. <laughs> yeah, this is resolved in the original cut of Superman 2. That's how Superman 2 was meant to open, was him re-stopping the nuclear missiles. Um, that's kind of thrown out with the theatrical cut, the Leicester cut. And um, it's, it's, again, it breaks continuity and it's, it's slightly frustrating, but okay. it's irritating that the, the, the biggest flaw of this movie happens right at the end. It's like a little, like a, you know, misstep over the last hurdle if I'm confusing my idioms there <laughs> it does awfully sound like the 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 misstep of uh, Man of Steel I guess I suppose with the with the final fight with Zod mm. but but I think they're two they're two different things one deals with time travel the other one's dealing with whether or not I should break someone's neck yeah and that's the thing this doesn't break the character yeah well, the problem of Man of Steel is that in deconstructing this character Zack Snyder accidentally gives you someone who's not really Superman and uh, just even in the, even in the flaws of this movie, there's no point where I didn't believe this was Superman or mm. Clark Kent, for that matter. Um, so I, I, I'm more forgiven of this, far more forgiven, because I think the strengths outweigh the negatives. And just this is the first major comic book movie of this era. 
Um, and it, I, was, I was thinking about, you know, recently Martin Scorsese said that, you know, these films, that they're, they're not cinema. Like, I don't know if you can apply it to this, because this feels like cinema. This mm. feels like the best of, like, golden age Hollywood slapped on with a post-Star Wars effects and budget. I think, I think, I think what, with those comments from Scorsese, I think it's more that it's, it's, it's like every, every two months, every three months you'll get a superhero movie nowadays. Whereas I think back in, back around the 70s, 80s, even 90s is like you would get a superhero movie maybe every five, five odd years or something like that. Maybe a decade. And that, or, even, or even a decade. And they weren't like these sudden, the sudden tent poles became like mainstay. It was kind of like a once in a blue moon sort of thing. Cinema was a lot more original and daring with their ideas than they are right now. So are you saying that Syndrome was right, that when everyone's a superhero, <laughs> everyone's super, no one will be? You yeah, know, that's probably <laughs> quite right. I mean, look at, if, I bet if you looked at IMDb and you looked at the current probably 20 or 30 most popular actors today, working today, I guarantee you 90% of those have appeared in DC or Marvel. 90? I think all of them would have, haven't they? <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, it, it, and it's interesting to think that this film, like interested such a huge pool of really big names and it, it's quite telling that uh, Marlon Brando and Gene Hackman get the, the billing first before the Superman logo flashes in your face and then Christopher Reeves is just kind of quietly mentioned during the opening sequence because he, obviously he was a complete unknown Similar, oddly enough again parallels to Michael Keaton being second to Jack Nicholson yeah. Um, it's um, yeah I think I think you've I think that's a very good point. The context of the time, this must have been very special. I mean, I, I know the tagline, the poster, and the poster's beautiful. It's just the sky with, like, the flash of Superman flying uh, with the caption, you'll believe a man can fly. And you really do. Mm. And, like, um, and it feels, even even after 40 years, when we've had these slew of, like, incredible CGI Marvel movies, this feel, did feel special. It did still feel magic, even though, again, you know exactly how all these special effects were done. Mm. Um, that's quite. It's, I, I like the fact that I can watch this film and just, I don't know, part of my brain can just go into pure cinematic joy. Did you feel something similar having only this being technically your first proper watch of the film? I, I think yes. I mean, yeah, yeah. You can, you know, how the effects are done and stuff like that. But it, does, it but it doesn't. It didn't detract from the enjoyment for me. It's like it was still. I think mostly because of the performance, especially with Reeves. Uh, and Hackman, it just it just felt like oh, and and Brando, uh, it just it just felt like a really well put together film. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, the the, the storytelling logics are are there, and we've we've talked about those. So ultimately, I still think it. I think it's probably like I said, I think it's probably still well, it is the best representation probably of Superman. That I've I've seen properly and, and enjoyed, because um, I think we we were having a conversation about this uh, prior to recording. But it's like it's like Henry Cavill is probably the the next one who comes closest to it. But I think we were in agreement that it's more to do with what he's been given to do that lets him down. Yeah, I completely agree. It, it's 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 strange. It's a strange attitude at the moment from a lot of writers where they don't feel like they can. Um, adapt. They have to deconstruct or, or recreate for the modern world. When Superman is one of those characters where he, he's kind of beyond that, 
he's a paradigm. He's, he's an archetype. He, he's he's effectively the Jesus of comic books. Mm. You don't really need to do much with him. What you, you can what you can change is the world around him, but you don't really need to change him. Mm. Um, and I feel like there's been too much of a focus on reconstructing the Superman character as opposed to like giving giving the tr- Superman character we know and love new challenges or a new world to to attempt to better. Mm. And I, I just I feel like there's, a, there's my my biggest criticism of Man of Steel isn't so much like the the common criticism where because the, the film does fall down a little bit towards the end. The third act is a huge. You can tell the first two acts had the sort of Nolan touches, and you can tell the third act had the Snyder touch. Um, but my biggest problem with Man of Steel was the fact that <laughs> I can't recall Superman smiling. There is no, there is no, with one smile, Christopher Reeves convinces you he's Superman. Just that, 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 that smile towards Lois Lane on, on top of her apartment. And you're just like, yep, that's it, sold. It's like, you are the perfect car. Uh, this is the, per- <laughs> it's one of the best examples of casting in the history of cinema. Um, Henry Cavill getting him just to scowl and look, emo- you know, he's basically emo emo all the way through those films emo and angry and it's just like who is this character this isn't superman it's not even if you're familiar with the comic law i think Zack snyder is just a bit too obsessed with the dark knight returns where they they have superman as a sort of like parody of himself where he is um effectively in control of a fascist ronald reagan (laughs) and it and uh yeah you get this grisly old clint eastwood's batman who has to take him on and beat him to death in his krypton armor crypto kryptonite armor sorry and it's it's for that particular graphic novel it works but you can't just oh so uh, I'm just getting frustrated that we. <laughs> I think on that we should probably just wrap up on on a Superman the movie the original. Um, like I said, I think if you're a Superman fan, this is probably the first thing you go to. Absolutely, first thing. I agree. I agree, and it hasn't been bettered in 40 years. It still holds up really well. The score is magnificent. The cast is great. The story is it's it's fun. It's a lot of fun. I mean, it's it's pure popcorn cinema. Like we're like we've said, there are moments in the film that. You know, Stre- you know, stretches the realms of plausibility. You never, you know, you, you believe a man can fly, but you don't believe he can turn back time. <laughs> there. If super can turn oh, back no. time, no. da da. Ah, uh, sorry, sorry, share. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. So, star racing. My. My brain says four, but my heart says five. I, f- I think this is, although it's flawed, I think this is such a good example of the genre. It's so revolutionary for the time, and the casting is so good. Yeah, I'm willing to give this a five-star review. Yep, I will, I will go with you on that one. I will say, I will say happily five-star on that one. Yeah. So there you go, Superman. Five stars. Give it a watch. If, if you love your Superman, give it a watch. Absolutely. We've had two good movies this week. That hasn't happened in a while. Shock horror. My, my <laughs> lord. What will happen next time? I don't know. We still need to find out what's coming out soon because it's definitely not Tenant. No. Oh, <laughs> Tenant's been pushed back. Mulan's been pushed back. Life has been pushed back. We will have to go into our bunkers. We're going to have to eat our protein bricks for the rest of our lives and our dehydrated water. That's uh... a. <laughs> 
How does dehydrated water work? You just put the pill in your mouth and just let the saliva build around it. It's not very pleasant. It's, it's, like, it's, like, it's like a condensed Weetabix biscuit. Oh, dear Lord. You no. look so sad. I am sad. And on that bombshell, can I think... I, can, I just, can I just finish my last point? I was trying... Basically, next person who's in charge of making a Superman movie, don't overthink it. Superman is a pretty basic character... Just <laughs> you can make the world as complex as you want, but keep ba- keep Superman to his heart. That's the thing. This film has heart. No other Superman movie does. Just no heart. Superman needs heart. Like, yeah. Do you agree? Do you agree? Agree with me. Agree with me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it needs hearts. <laughs> and on that on that heartfelt confessional <laughs> bombshell, we must say goodbye. Thank you very much for listening to Film Raw this week. Uh, do let us know your thoughts on the movies we've covered by emailing us at filmraw at bunkerzilla.co.uk. And, of course, you can follow us on social media on Facebook, Twitch, and Twitter with the magical word Bunkerzilla UK, all one word. So, until next time, enjoy your movies, stay safe. And I've been Ian Bolton, joined by Christian R. Allen. Man of Steel is underrated. Indeed. Bye-bye for now. (laughs) Keep it cinematic. Bye!